0: Father, we come this morning um, bringing you praise for who you are and what you've done for us. Uh, We praise you for the grace that was shown to us on the cross. We praise you for the patience with which you deal with us as we come before you with failures and doubts and questions and you continually pick us up and and whisper to us and and spur us along and, and shape us into your people, the people that we're called to be, the people um, in the world that you created and are redeeming. Um, and I pray this morning that as we open up the scriptures, that as always, Father, you would speak to us, that you would move in us, that you would transform the very way um, that we live and think and breathe um, to be reflective of who you are and what you desire for us. Um, we pray, Father, that the, the words um, of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts, they would be... Um, pleasing to you this morning, uh, that as we approach you, uh, we would come to find that you have approached us, um, and we would find our joy and our worship and our meaning in that. We love you, Father. Please be with us. It's in your Son's precious name that we pray. Amen. Okay, well, let's go. Let's get after it. Luke chapter 12. If you have a Bible, Luke chapter 12. Um, I will say this. I am giving out extra indulgence points uh, this morning to those who showed up. Uh, I don't know if it was the cold or Thanksgiving, um, what it is, uh, behold the remnant right in front of us, uh, Luke 12, if you're a visitor, welcome, uh, my name is Mike, i the lead pastor here at First Colony, I'm uh, glad that you have joined us um, for this morning of worship. Luke 12 is where we'll be, uh, verse 13. Lots to talk about today. We're in the middle of a series called The Messy Kingdom, uh, talking about the kingdom of God that has come in and through the life and work of Jesus, and then our role in that kingdom. So we started off a few weeks ago in Mark chapter 1, if you'll remember. Um, Jesus comes, Mark 1, 14 to 15. The kingdom of God is here. What we meant by kingdom of God, what Jesus meant by it, was this story that Israel had in their hearts and in their imaginations that their God, Israel's God, would one day come To the earth and set up his reign on earth as in heaven, like the Lord's Prayer, praise, your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. And so we talked about what it looks like when the kingdom comes, and as the kingdom is growing into this large tree, like the parable of the seed that grows, and the birds come and nest in the tree. And then the next week, we we looked at, three weeks ago, we looked at um, the guest list who's invited into the kingdom, who gets to, to make their citizenship. In the kingdom, it's those who repent, it's those who trust, it's those who place their loyalty in Jesus. And then last week we started um, kind of looking at what we might call the praxis of the kingdom. What does life look like in the kingdom for kingdom people, for people who live inside the kingdom, for people who have their citizenship in heaven? Well, last week we we looked at prayer and how prayer seems to be a real basic central activity for people in the kingdom. Jesus prayed over and over and over again in the Gospel of Luke. He's always praying and then he teaches his disciples to pray in Luke 11. We'll move on this week um, and look at another aspect of life in the kingdom. Uh, we'll pick it up, Luke 12, verse 13. Read with me. Someone in the crowd said to him, to him is Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And then I'll store my grain and my goods there. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Okay, now we have to talk about money uh, if we're going to talk about the kingdom. Jesus, if you survey the Gospels, talks about money more than anything else next to the idea of the kingdom of God. Um, Why? Well, because money is a big part of life. Uh, You'll see you have this in your worship guide, Matthew 6. Jesus puts mammon, uh, or or stuff, that's the Greek word for stuff. It's not even wealth, necessarily. It's just stuff. He puts stuff, mammon, right up there next to God as these dual um, forces vying for your obedience and for your loyalty. And so Jesus has a lot to say about maybe what the economy of the kingdom is. For those who live inside the kingdom, for citizens of the kingdom, the way they use and spend their money. Now, it's interesting um, that we're talking about this today. Um, We just had one of the more bipolar episodes that America will go through. Um, So Thursday, we had Thanksgiving, which is where we come together and we give thanks for all that we have. And we recognize we give thanks to God for all that we have. Now, if you've been with us for the past few weeks, I've been poking on this idea that we have to name God. Who is God? Because here's When I hear usually that word God tossed around in the public arena, I'm not sure what God we're talking about. Or when there's a a prayer breakfast and we're praying to God, what God? Or when Americans are coming together to give thanks to God, what God? Is it just a general God that really stands for nothing and requires nothing of people? Or is it the God revealed through Jesus, the Messiah, and the scriptures bringing the kingdom of God? You always got to be weary of someone's personal relationship with Jesus has very little to do with the commands and teachings of Jesus or the rest of the scriptures. But, okay, so we come together and give thanks to God um, or whomever uh, for our blessings, right? We're thankful. We're content. Look at all that we've been given. And we've been given a lot as Americans. I mean, we're very well off, especially compared to the rest of the world. And so we give thanks for it. And then literally within hours, all of America breaks. And we have Black Friday. (laughs) And people go crazy to get more. What's the saying? Um, what, what What does it take to make a man happy? More than he has. Yeah, more than he has. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And so Black Friday comes and we go. We hit the stores. This is what a lot of stores will look like. Uh, Outside of Black Friday, this was taken um, from Friday, and just crowds and crowds and crowds of people lined up to get a good deal on stuff. Because we love stuff, and we love acquiring stuff, and we're thankful that we can get more stuff. And so we go after it on Friday. Now, that's not the problem. The problem is not when we line up outside. The problem is when the doors open. And that's when it really becomes a spectacle for the rest of the world to watch. Um, you'll see here the doors open up at the store. I'm convinced that this lady was prepared. Uh, she knew where she was going. She knew what she was doing. Um, now, okay, here's my worst fear. My very worst fear is that somebody know somebody in this picture? Uh, or like, that's my sister. Whatever. Uh, this lady right here, you can see, is starting to elbow um, an older, elderly lady right here. Um, but that's that's kind of the mild aspect of Black Friday. If you do a quick Google search yesterday, or not yesterday Friday, I'm um, in California. A lady pepper sprayed about ten people around her. Um, if you dig into that story, she was after an Xbox. Um, so nothing against the xbox but she she pepper sprayed 10 people um there was a shooting actually in california and in north carolina um on black friday and there was a stabbing in new york one lady uh was interviewed and I'll quote her exactly here word for word she said if i'm going to get shot at least let me get a good deal <laughs> that is the american mindset um we're so thankful for all that we've been given And the chance to get more. (laughs) And so we we run after it. Now, with that, I think, is a warning for you and I. um, We we don't talk about money all that much here. I mean, I've never really um, begged you for your money. uh, If you've been here, when we do kingdom campaigns, stuff like that, uh, I get up and say, hey, will you tell us how much you want to give us? And then we do that. Because we've never been in need. Everyone, uh, our whole family, those here, those aren't here, are very generous. We've never really had an issue to really kind of, beg for money, Um, but when we do talk about money, I always want to be careful, because you, I mean, try to think of it like this, a fish has a hard time recognizing the water that's around them, it's, you and I breathe, but we don't think about air, and I think the way that greed has infiltrated our society is a lot like that, it's hard to separate ourselves out of that, now it's easy to see kind of what we might think are ridiculous forms of that, and go, oh, look at those greedy people, and maybe not see the hold that it's taken on you and I. And so I have no like romantic notions that um, a cute phrase or something like that is all of a sudden going to break us all out of greed. Um, but I do think that faithfully pursuing Christ um, and opening ourselves up to his teachings and to his truth um, will slowly and surely form us into his people. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at what he says um, and, and just try to open ourselves up uh, to what he says in the hopes that... Again, not maybe we just 100% are freed of this, as if that was possible, but that we were grown and shaped and matured into his people, the kingdom people. Um, I, when I got into college uh, six years ago, um, as a freshman, was given a, a command by my parents. I think it's pretty common uh, only spend money on tuition, books, and food. Um and so I got there and you know, obviously was not content with that and so I embarked on a coming of age ritual of sorts for kids in college, uh which I applied for and got my first credit card. Um because you're not in college, at least in America, until you're in debt. Uh and have maxed out a card <laughs> or two. Um which again, I mean we'll get into debt. Uh so I, I get my card, right? I apply for it, I get it, right? Because who better to lend money to than an eighteen year old um who's on his own for the first time. And so I get my card, it comes in the mail, um, and I open it up and oh, I got a card, and I look at the card and it says this Michael D. Sinner. Sinner? <laughs> uh, that's not a sign. <laughs> 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 You can ask Chris. I think Chris remembers this. I took it to Bible study that week. I was like, this is not right. This was before. I'll, I'll just justify this. This was before I was a pastor. So this was back when I could sin, when it was possible for me to do so. And um, said, Michael, D. sinner. And so I, I ended up calling the bank. And I was like, look, this is a mistake. I'm not a sinner. I'm a skinner. I'd like you to fix this. This is a theological mistake on my credit card. Uh, and so they're like, we'll send you another one. We're so sorry, sir. And they sent me another one. And I said, Michael, the sinner. And so I just accepted it and said, you know what? I'm not going to pretend anymore. Um, and so, uh, you know, I swore that I kept that card. I can't find it. I was going to bring it today uh, to show you guys. Um, so, so we got to be careful because it's not, it's not a them versus us type of thing. I mean, this is the world that we live in. Okay. Um, so let's, let's dig in. Let's see what's happening here. Um, verse 13, Jesus is teaching. We're not too far from the Lord's prayer that he gave us. We looked at last week. Um, and then he says this, uh, or this happens. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. If you remember from when we studied the prodigal son, what would happen is the firstborn in this society would get um, twice as much as the other children. Uh, so this would probably be the secondborn son or the, maybe the third son, um, but a younger one. And apparently his older brother's been kind of stingy with the inheritance. He doesn't want to divide the land or divide the wealth that he's been given. Um, and so it's very common in this time to go to a public teacher who had lots of authority in the eyes of the people, great crowds around him. And get a ruling. And so he comes to Jesus and says, hey, will you put some pressure on my older brother? He's, he's defrauding me. He's, he's not being fair here. And Jesus, very interestingly, goes, I don't care. He goes, I'm not your judge. I'm not your lawyer. And then notice what happens. He, he shifts. Then he says to them. Who are the them? Most likely his disciples. Could also be the crowd. But he takes his focus away from the man. He answers the man and says, no, I'm not interested in that. And then he starts to teach, and he gives this warning. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. If you've got your worship guide, here's the first thing we might say. Kingdom people, people in the kingdom of God, need to take an active stance against the stuff God, we could call him. They need to take an active stance against him. Again, you've got it in your worship guide, Matthew six twenty four. Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Jesus does not put anything else on that level with God. He says there's something intrinsic about money and wealth and stuff, possessions, that calls for our loyalty and calls for our trust and hope and calls for our obedience and actions. And he says, you've got to choose one or the other. This is where I think a lot of Christianity, um, at least in my experience, has failed in that we've taken such a passive stance to everything, um, most notably our, our character development. Um, but the scriptures are over and over again going to say, hey, be active. Just be careful. Take care. Question yourself. Know what's in your heart. Know what's happening around you. Does stuff, does greed have a hold on you? This is not a, well, let's just hope it ends up all right, which is so much of how Christians pursue Jesus today. We just kind of go about our business and hope it happens. We don't sit down and do the hard work of questioning ourselves, of repentance, of changing, of opening ourselves up to the accountability of others. It says, take care and be on your guard. What's interesting here, notice this. The guy, the guy who came to Jesus, he was being defrauded. We have nothing in the text or in the story to make us think that he didn't deserve what was coming to him. That someone wasn't breaking a law against him. There was a law. that how the inheritance worked. He was being defrauded. He comes to Jesus with a question of justice. When Jesus tells the story, you've got to wonder if he's going, did you hear me correctly? I wasn't talking about money. I'm talking about someone breaking the law. And I want you to, to help them see the error of their ways. He comes with a question about justice. But Jesus smells greed behind it. And so he calls out Greed covetousness this is maybe one of the scarier things about greed it often can disguise itself as virtue notice here the guy comes with justice and jesus goes let's look behind that because i see some greed it was clothed with a good thing this guy was breaking the law he was being defrauded now if this doesn't make us think jesus he he sees this is good i mean justice I'm being defrauded. And Jesus goes, no, you're just too concerned with what's yours and what's not yours. It's it's kind of disguising itself as a virtue. Oftentimes we do this. I mean, we'll we'll say, I'm discontent. I need more. I need this. I need that. And then we'll put an ultimatum on it or we'll put a, a then statement on it. If that, then I'd be able to worship God this way. Or then I'd be able to serve him this way. Or then it would free me up to do all these types of things. We disguise it. Do you see it? It's, I mean, it's deceitful. It kind of goes behind virtuous things. It's in the middle of virtuous things. And Jesus has this, this keen sense of smelling it out of the question. Will you, will you arbitrate between us? And he goes, Ah, oh, you need to be careful. Disciples, be careful. Because this will get in your heart and it will take a hold of you. Um, he, he says this. He, he says, take care why for... For one's life, he says, it does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He says this, this is a, a claim about both God and man um, when you're putting so much trust in stuff or in money or in wealth. Um, we've said this before. We'll say it again. Uh, greed, according to the scriptures, is nothing more or less than idolatry. It's a lie about God, a lie about the world around us idolatry. It's, it's making something ultimate that's not ultimate. It's giving something the status of God that's not God. It's worshipping and obeying something other than the God of the universe or the king of the kingdom. If you have your Bible flip over to Colossians 3, uh, just to the right a little bit. Colossians chapter 3. I'll show you this. Paul actually makes this connection, greed and idolatry, a few times in his letters. does in Ephesians 5. We'll look at Colossians 3 though. <clears throat> Colossians 3 verse 5 is where we'll be. He says this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Notice again the, the activeness of this. He doesn't say, hey, just realize this kind of bad stuff, feel a little bit guilty about it, and then hope it just goes away. He says, put to death. This is the Greek word for murder. This is a legal term. He says, murder it, find it, and kill it, get rid of it. He says, put to death whatever is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness or greed, which is idolatry. It's Idolatry—it's putting something in the place of God. Which is why Jesus says you can't serve both of them. One of them is going to be your God. Which one is it going to be? So he tells a story. He tells him a parable, verse 16: The land of a rich man produced plentifully, um, and he thought to himself, "What shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops." So he, he hatches a plan. He says, "Here's what I'll do: I'll tear down the barn I have currently, and I'll just build a huge storehouse and put everything in there, and then I'll retire." I mean, this guy is an American capitalist through and through. This is the American dream. I'm going to get a lot of money and I'm going to store it all to use on myself. I'm going to retire and live the good life. I'm going to eat and drink and be merry. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be satisfied. I'm going to relax. I'm going to go on vacation. But he hadn't taken into account all the factors, you might say. And so God shows up. The guy's talking to his soul, which I think is a bad sign. Um... I'll say to my soul, soul, uh, (laughs) yes, soul, uh, relax, eat, be merry. But God shows up and says, you fool, tonight I'm taking your life. Tonight your life will be gone. What's going to happen? Two things here. One, your riches aren't going to protect you. They're not going to battle for you. They'll abandon you. And second, they won't be yours anymore. They're gone. What was the point of any of that? And Jesus Real sharply says, so it is with anyone who lays up treasure for themselves and is not rich towards God. We might say that the story here is about the economic actions of what we could call um, him a a practical atheist. Someone who lives in such a way that God doesn't really play a factor um, in his life. Um, Again, the God revealed through the scriptures, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God revealed to Jesus on the cross, the God of the Christian community going forth from the time of the resurrection. Again, let's flip real quick uh, backwards this time to Psalm 14. <clears throat> when Jesus uses the word fool here, um, it's not the same word for fool that he says in the Sermon on the Mount, not to call people. It's a different word, and it's a word that comes um, from a very famous poem that the Jewish people had in their hearts and imaginations. Uh, we'll look at Psalm 14. <clears throat> uh, I think two years ago we studied this psalm. This year series called Story. Story. Um, Psalm 14.1, the fool, there's our, our catchword here, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, notice, when we studied this, we mentioned this, there actually are no atheists at this time, that the psalm was written. I mean, just as a philosophical idea, it doesn't exist. Everyone's a, a polytheist, but, but what happens here, he's saying the fool says in his heart, now that has always existed. People who who maybe intellectually will give verbiage to some God, but just live as if God doesn't play a factor in their decisions or their attitudes or their thoughts. So the fool, fool, says in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There's none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after him. They have all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, the evildoers, who eat up my people... As they eat bread, who commit injustice against other human beings and do not call upon the Lord. There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. We can flip back to Luke 12. So God says, you fool... You have not taken into account the ultimate realities of life. Um, the first thing let's notice here, the fool, he uses his wealth selfishly. He uses his wealth selfishly. Notice, um, if we go back to verse 17 here, the personal pronouns that are here, first person personal pronouns, we're just overwhelmed And just a this, this short little self-dialogue here with I, me, I, my, me, I, me. Um, Let's notice them. What shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, I'm out of fingers. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Um, Some have said this parable seems to be a mismanagement of a miracle. Um, This is a lot. I mean, if he has this much um, crop coming from this land and this crazy kind of miracle situation... um, it really, the, the the problem here is that he mismanages it. He gets this blessing, but it terminates on himself. And he goes, oh, how great that I've got all of this stuff. I wonder how I can use it. I'll do this, and I'll do this, and I'll do this, and I'll do this. He uses it selfishly. We'll see that in the kingdom, um, the econ- economics of the kingdom, it goes outward. It, it doesn't terminate in on self, but it instead flows through us out into the world where God is working and moving. Um, lastly, the fool, he put his ultimate trust in the wealth. I mean, this is the, he, he put his hope in the wealth. That was what was going to bring him satisfaction. That's what was going to um, let him sleep at night. That's what was going to define his life. And God shows up and goes, you've made so many mistakes. You've made so many mistakes. And you're going to die tonight, and you're going to be revealed. And you're going to be vulnerable. be nothing to protect you fight your battles. Your wealth will be gone, and you'll have to face me. Um, Some have wondered if part of the consumerism or shopping or, I mean, just obsession with stuff that we have in our culture is part of a larger project for you and I to try to forget that none of us make it out alive. You can even look at maybe the amount of money that we spend um, on life-saving medicine. So like emergency medicine. Compared to how much money you spend on preventative medicine. Whew. Huge. Huge difference. The way we use entertainment. The way we use money. Because we, at the end of the day, none of us want to deal with the fact that, hey, we're all going to die. And that's why we seem to be surprised when death comes. We haven't thought about it. How have we not thought about it? What's the Mark Terrain statistic? everyone dies it happens to all of us but we're surprised by it we're confused by it we still don't know how to handle it after how many thousands of years of it happening to everybody and so we do lots of different things to try to ignore that and stuff is a really great way to numb wealth is a really great way to pretend that we have safety and security And this parable got you something, it's gone, man. It's all gone. You're dying tonight, and what do you have? You're nothing, except a a litany of selfish acts behind you that's not going to play well in your favor. Ecclesiastes would say, This guy was depressed, go ahead. But he'd say, What's the point of getting all this money if you're going to have to die and give it to your idiot son? You've seen the decisions he makes. You want to give all that wealth to him? What's the point? What's the the point of getting all that? It doesn't go with you. It doesn't transfer over. There's no rollover wealth into the next life. So he comes and he he says, hey, this guy, he he put all this trust in this wealth and it it betrayed him. And then if we could just say, I mean, just experientially, um, money doesn't cause us to eat and drink and be merry. Uh, you can look at the polls. In the 1950s, um, till today, our level of living um, has just skyrocketed in America. Um, but since the 1950s, Americans have not told pollsters that they're very happy. Uh, actually, there's a correlation to our level of living and our depression and mental illness um, and prescription sales. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy, actually, if you think about it. Um, so it just doesn't, it doesn't provide what it says it will, which you would expect out of an idol. When I mean, that's what an idol does, it gives you false promises and then it does not come through when you go in to cash those checks. And so God here is pulling the rug out of wealth in this parable and saying, Hey, it's not going to cash the checks that you, you were hoping it would. Your life's gone. And what do we have now? Well, we have a not so comfortable conversation with God about what did you do with the stuff that was his all along? So Jesus is going to go into some teaching, okay? Uh, So verse 22, we'll keep reading. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Okay, so he says, first of all, um, don't be anxious. He says, people in the kingdom, um, they shouldn't be, we might say, stressing out over stuff. They shouldn't be stressing out over money. Uh, They should have bigger things on their mind. There are bigger priorities for them. This shouldn't overwhelm us, this shouldn't be our focus. He says, don't be anxious about these things. And then he's going he's to spell this out a little bit. So he gives us an example. Don't be anxious. Why? Well, look at the, the ravens. Look at these birds out here. They don't go to work. I mean, they don't have a nine to five job. Um, they don't uh, store things up. They don't have these huge savings accounts. And yet, it just seems like they get fed every day. It seems like God feeds them. It seems like there's this whole world that God just orchestrates and he provides for. Just look at them. And then here's he's going to explain the example with this next part here. He says, "How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you by being anxious, which of you by stressing, which of you by being overwhelmed by the stuff adds a single hour to your life?" He says, "Hey, the, you're putting in this action and you're getting nothing from it. It's not cost effective for you to put in this anxiety. You're not getting anything from it." Now we mentioned. Um, In the the parable of the certifiable father last week, that Jesus seems to take shots at us every now and then, Um, he does it again here. He says, which of you can't add a single hour to his life when that's really easy (laughs) for God, slash me, slash Holy Spirit? He says, look, you can do whatever you want, but you're not going to add an hour to your life. Um, We can translate this. I'm all for eating healthy. Um, You can eat as much broccoli as you want, and you can still get sick. And we've all, I mean, surely... You know the guy who has eaten nothing but red meat three meals a day and smoked eight cigars and drank a pint of whiskey for his entire life and is in perfect health at 95. (laughs) And then the health freak who has this unfortunate lethal sickness. Come on to them. Or, I mean, you can work out as much as you want. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. You should. You should take care of your body. Those type of things. But you never know what accident might be waiting for you. He's saying you only get to control a very small portion of reality. In fact, um, I mean, all we do is really creating an illusion. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an optical illusion. Our, our self-sufficiency, our feeling of security and safety in and of ourselves, and in what we do and what we acquire—it's really just a, an illusion. It's, it's a, it's a figment of our imaginations. It does not exist. Again, we're numbing ourselves to the actual reality of the world. Um, we're, we're practical atheists. When we're using stuff or greed to give us this sense of security. This sense of, of well-being. He says, but the, the Heavenly Father, he, he's generous. He's loving. Look at how he feeds the birds. Will he, not, will he not take care of you? Will he not be generous to you? So um, any theology or any try to uh, attempt to understand wealth needs to start with this principle. God is wealthy. If you want to understand wealth, you want to understand riches, the first place you have to start is God is rich. He's filthy rich. In fact, he owns everything. It's all his. Every single bit, uh, bit of it. And so we, I poke fun at this sometimes, right? Because you earned your money. And I've earned the money that I have. And I work really hard for my money. And I put in 50-hour weeks. And I go do things I don't want to do. And I'm earning my paycheck. And we go before God and that. And he goes, hey, who gave you the energy to do that? Who gave you the body to do that? Who gave you the mind to do all of that I mean none of us were in the room going I'd like America in 1988 uh, I'd like a sharp mind I'd like a very pretty face um, that would be able to put in public um, no, uh, it's just out of, it's out of our hands he, he owns it all the, the scriptures say in Psalms that the cattle on a thousand hills is the Lord's you know, it's all his He's wealthy. And so uh, asks, uh, Paul and Axe would go, hey, what has he ever needed from you? Like, when has he ever called up Mike Skinner and gone, hey, bro, can you loan me some cash? <laughs> I want to do this over here, but I'm short. Hey, can you give me some supplies over here? No, it's, it's his. We don't serve him. He's not served by us as if he needed anything. So he's the one who's wealthy. He's the one who's generous. And he's saying, look at, I mean, you see, he's provided us with so much He's been so generous to us, and here we might go. um, Doesn't seem like it. If, according to statistics, about a billion people right now are on the verge of starvation. Uh, If, according to statistics, um, and the tens of thousands—probably around forty thousand—either today or tomorrow will die from uh, something that we can easily fix: starvation or like a really easy disease. We have pills for it. We buy them with a couple cents. But it doesn't look very generous. And then I think Psalm 14 would go, hey fool, you have it. You're the one who screwed it up. There was more than enough for everybody. There was more than enough. Unfortunately, um, there's a country um, in the universe right now who spends four times as much as the rest of the world on them. Unfortunately, what's happened is, is rich people have taken a lot and poor people have been left with little. That's not a political statement. That's a scriptural statement. You look through the entire scriptures and God is over and over again. We went through the book of Micah two years ago. I mean, here's my worry. I'm, I'm cast as like a leftist by saying this. No, I'm, I'm, I'm re- trying to read the Bible and God's going, there should not be this gap here. I've been generous to everybody. You don't hoard it. You don't hoard it. If you remember the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, um, there's this reverse, right? The rich man goes to a bad place. Lazarus goes to a good place. They have this exchange. And we misread the parable thinking it's about heaven or hell. It's not. It's about the brothers who are still alive who need to find out hey, you better live on earth as in heaven. You better not ignore the poor guy outside your gate. Because what will happen is the fortunes will be reversed. That's what the kingdom is about to bring God's reign and rule to earth as in heaven. He does not desire for his generosity to be exploited by a few. Look at the Father. Look how generous he is. Don't be anxious. If you're in the kingdom, don't be anxious. Don't worry. Don't stress out about that. Um, One of the things we've done, uh, and and you see this on Black Friday, I was reading an article by a psychologist about this. Uh, It's called Consumerism Anxiety, um, which is where people of affluence, which would be you and I, uh, and you see this on Black Friday, we sometimes take desires and make them needs okay so we've all heard that from our mom right do you really need that or do you want that um but we do this on a big level we don't realize it so we go into fight or flight or really stressed out about things that aren't actually life or death to us i mean i hear this all the time and i do it all the time oh i just need that you don't need that i mean so in the 1950s again um That was when kind of things started to change in a big, dramatic way. Um, The average household uh, was less than um, half of what our average houses are, and the families were bigger. And you would very easily have four or five children in a two-bedroom house. Psychologically, most of us can't deal with that. I mean, we can't even wrap our minds around how that's possible. And that's not a tribute to how crazy those people were. It's a tribute to how much we've been entrapped by this thinking more and more and bigger and bigger and bigger and if we have it why not use it I mean you watch these TV shows I'm pregnant so let's get a bigger house you had a nice house but okay why because we have it so we're going to use it I, me, my what am I going to do with this money and Jesus is reversing he's flipping it upside down in the kingdom that's not what it's about he says so he says consider the the raven's Consider your actual effectiveness um, in providing for yourself. He'll go on to say, um, verse 27, another example. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. This is real interesting. He, he connects nature. This, I mean, this is not nature mysticism. Sometimes people will try to paint Jesus, particularly in like this, going... Oh, let's just look how good nature is and how beautiful and divine nature is and we should just be like the least. Well, no, he, he's comparing how beautiful is how God's pride to King Solomon with a huge court, with all this gold, with a kingdom that was flourishing in wealth. As they followed God, when they stopped, punishment came towards them. But just say, hey, compare how God does this. How much more, how much more than grass that's going to be burnt, it's going to die. How much more is he going to feed you? How much more does he want to clothe you? He says, don't seek. So here we have uh, two opposite things. He says, don't seek after what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations seek after these things. And your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. So kingdom people have their priorities rearranged. Instead of seeking these things, they instead are freed up by the generosity of God, a correct understanding of him, of the world, and of the kingdom, to seek something that's more important. This is a very important distinction. Um, I want you to follow me on this, this thought here, okay? Follow me because there's just tiny little words that's going to make it work or not work. The church doesn't have an economic option to the world. We don't have an economic plan to give to the world. We are the economic plan the world needs. Do you follow the little... We don't, we don't have an option to give them. This is how you should do it. It would work better. We are the option. Why? Because it's only in the kingdom. It's only with a regenerate heart. It's only with seeing and worshiping the generosity of God that one is freed up to do such things. If you don't understand that God is in control, if you don't understand that he's generous, if you don't understand that he's doing something and you're involved and he's going to take care of you, then you better seek after those things because no one else is going to look after you. But if you're a kingdom citizen... If you're in a different community altogether, with a different king, with different neighbors and citizens around you, and your hands start opening, you're freed. not necessarily something we can give as some sort of foreign policy. It's something we do. It's people who we are. A kingdom has citizens. A kingdom has politics. A kingdom has economics. This is the economy of the kingdom. We have a different priority. Because we, look at our king. This is his world. This is his stuff. Look at the people he's given around us. We'll be fine. So we're going to free up our priority from seeking after stuff to save us. And we're going to go after what he cares about, his kingdom. And man, darned it if he doesn't provide for us. So we, we shift our priorities here. The kingdom replaces selfishness with generosity. He says, sell your possessions, give to the needy. Um, this is one of the most radical things about the kingdom. Um, most people not only uh, think, well, most people think charity is giving extra. So I give extra off the top of what I don't need. Um, but the early church would actually sacrifice to give. They would sell so they could give. This is what's crazy about Acts 2. They weren't just giving to the poor. They were selling stuff they had to give to the poor. Uh, if you read through the history books, um, the early Christians had this practice, uh, a well-known practice. They would do this. They would sell themselves into slavery and give the money to the poor. The fact that that is hard for us to compute, is not their fault. It's ours. I mean, they would sell themselves just so they could provide for a need they saw. Why? They were in a whole different kingdom. They had a different policy. They had a different understanding of the world around them. It was not a world of cause and effect and of self-sufficiency. It was a world of trust and worship. So they, they sought the kingdom. Their hands were freed. They sold and they gave. Instead of selfishness, they were generous. Now, uh, we know this command to sell um, is not universal. There were early Christians we know of in this time and in the early church and acts who still had Um, large amounts of wealth in fact they were usually the ones taking care of the people who sold everything uh, and gave it to the poor but here's the problem here's why I I don't even think that's worth mentioning to you and I what happens as soon as you put a butt after the command is you've created an exception and in a culture like ours everybody at once at the same time steps into the exception (laughs) sacrifice and give to the needy but not everybody has to do it all of a sudden everybody is the exception and there's a few crazy people who are like let's try this out I mean, that's why it's almost not even worth mentioning in our culture. That's why we might just need to just stomach what Jesus is saying here. Sell what you got and give it away. It wasn't meant to terminate on yourself. Which is one of the problems with this guy in the parable. He gets this huge bounty of blessing and he doesn't, it doesn't occur to him to give it to the people around him. This is in a peasant world um, where people usually had just one change of clothes. If you remember from the the story of the prodigal son, um, or the the annoying friend in the middle of the night, uh, they would have a one-room house, most of the peasants, uh, with animals in it in the night, and then they would sleep all together on a raised mat in the back. This would have been, I mean, he could have thrown a party and then really blessed the whole village here. But he goes, I, I, me, 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 my, my, my. This is a community of people who are one disaster away from being on the brink of death. The breadwinner gets sick or hurt or dies. There's a famine, things like that. You and I are not one step away from that. We feel like we are sometimes. Again, that's this anxiety that creeps into us that we don't think through, but we're really not. So many things would ha- I'm just looking around, I know almost everybody in this room, so many things would have to happen for you and I to really be in danger of not eating. In fact, I would venture to say, if you're part of this community, it won't happen to you. I'm sorry, you're in my family. There will always be people here who can provide for you. Now you start just not working and Megan's us provide, then we'll flip to Thessalonians and, and Timothy. <laughs> we we'll some Matthew 18 discipline, right? But we'll feed you. And we'll kick you on the streets like a job. <laughs> We're not, we're not a step away. Here's another thing I'll just point out. We're going to wrap it up soon I don't want to go an hour like last week. Um, but, uh, I mean, just compare this different audience to our audience, to our society. Um, this example of a guy building a storage unit was kind of like an absurd example to these people. It's kind of like a, how crazy would that be? He has all that wealth and he builds a barn to put it in? But walk with me 2,000 years over to a continent called North America... And we do this habitually. I mean, we've, we're, we're no longer asked to enter into the parable. We are the parable. <laughs> there are 52,000 self-storage units in America right now, and the number's growing. And it's actually the fastest growing um, industry of profit. Over $23 billion were earned last year in self-storage, in the self-storage industry, more than Hollywood. Now, the numbers might be skewed up, If you want to be fair, because there's not much... I mean, it's easy to get a big profit when all you do is just have a a building there, right? And there's not a lot of expenses for those people. But the fastest growing industry. And can I tell you, um, when I was in Kenya, those folks had a hard time understanding that I ate something different every night. They couldn't compute the fact that we would have just warehouses full of stuff we're not using. So this is... I mean, again, just so... uh, word of caution to us. Let's humble ourselves when we go to this text and say, it's going to be hard for us to really get there. We're going to have to gradually and slowly open ourselves up and submit ourselves to the risen one to be shaped into his people. But he's saying, hey, things work differently in the kingdom. There's just a different way that we spend and use and see our money. There's just a different way altogether. And it's not necessarily a way we can make other people follow. No, it's the way that comes from worshiping the risen God. This is just what happens in the kingdom. That's how we live. Um, We'll we'll say this. We're blessed to be a blessing. God's blessings to us don't and should not terminate on ourselves. They should um, be extended outwards into the people around us. We should be a conduit of his blessings and power and grace to the people around us. You can go back all the way to the beginning of God's plan of salvation. Genesis 12, verse 3. God calls Israel through Abraham and says, I'm going to bless the whole world by blessing you. And Israel does their best. Not so hot. And Jesus, if you remember, um, calls a new Israel, the 12 around him, given them the same task. I'm going to bless you, you're going to bless everybody. That's why he says, hey, good news for the poor. Why? Because there's a group of people who are going to provide for you, who are going to seek justice, who are going to look after you. Good news. That's the good news. We're the good news. The good news is, hey, there's a group of people who are in a different kingdom altogether. And this kingdom brings light and hope and truth and beauty to the entire world. We're blessed to be a blessing. And lastly, he says, don't store up um, money bags. Don't store up treasures. They're going to ride away. They're going to be stolen. Instead, invest in the heavens. Invest in eternal things. Again, here, let's not try to play the afterlife thing, okay? Remember the whole point of the kingdom is that heaven's coming to earth now. So this is not, we're throwing away money and just hoping um, that when we die, it'll all pan out for us. This is tangible treasure. We hold, we see, we enjoy it now. It's just in a whole different realm than things of the earth. Instead of investing in us, we invest in kingdom projects. We invest in kingdom work. We invest in blessing. We invest in seeking justice. We invest in healing, that's what a treasure in heaven is. It's not something that we won't see or experience or enjoy until we die. It's investing in the reign of God here and now. It's just a different type of treasure. And Jesus is going, if you really like investing, I mean, that's the smart investment. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the one that's going to last for you. That's, one, that's the one that's going to work best for you. Okay, we'll wrap it up. If you look at your worship guide. Uh, we've got Kingdom Implementation stuff on here just like last week. I'd be interested to know if you did some of the prayer stuff we had, how it went for you. <clears throat> I found myself a couple times telling someone I'd pray for them. They'd be like, oh, i got to pray for them. I, I really do. I just preach on that. Uh, you got here, um, find two or three ways that God blesses you this week and then actively turn those into tangible blessings for others. So maybe not even ways that you've already been blessed, but find two or three ways this week God blesses you in a new way. And then go, now how can I make that blessing a tangible blessing for somebody else? How can they be blessed because I was blessed? How can I I let that flow out of me? Um, Another question, this should be a really easy one for us to tackle. Are you a practical atheist? Is your budget the budget of a practical atheist? And what are measures you can use to determine that? Here's the thing about some of these um, commands and I don't want to say this word because the word has bad connotations, but some of them seem to be relative uh, in the sense that Again, not everyone was called to sell all although they had. Just having a huge house doesn't mean that you're in the wrong. You can have a huge house, and it can be a hub of kingdom activity. It can be a center of justice and healing and love and mercy, of beauty and truth. Or you can have a really big house, and Jesus might go, you probably need to sell that to get rid of that. So, so, you've got to decide, and we've got to decide with ourselves and with our community, with the people we're held accountable to. What, how do we measure that in my life, in my heart? How do I measure whether I'm spending my money and I'm doing things in the kingdom way? There's not one hard, fast rule we can put on everybody, right? I can't say all of us right now need to go sell everything we have. If we have a storage unit, go burn it, right? Give everything away. I can't do that. I shouldn't do that. But we should test ourselves. We should, as Jesus says, take care, be careful. That this hasn't happened to us. Or at least it doesn't continue to happen. Um, the last one. For one day, maybe a whole week if you're courageous, keep a greed idol scrapbook. Uh, and so what we want to do is take written notice of the presence of greed or consumerism in our heart or thoughts throughout the day. So we're going around and going, man, I'm just in a bad mood for an hour. Because so I feel like God has not provided me this and I really want this. I'm going to try it down. I'm feeling real discontent. I was really envious of that. Or, you know what? I just wanted to go buy something today. I don't even know why. I don't need it. I just want to go buy something. Just take a quick little journal. Just jot down real quick. And then maybe reflect on your observations. What was happening there? And then maybe see if there's a way you can replace those um, tendencies or thoughts with kingdom tendencies or thoughts. Simple things to do um, as we try to again um, open ourselves up to following Jesus truly and faithfully. Um, He says he's come, Mark 1, 14, 15, 2,000 years ago. The kingdom is here. God is setting up his reign. Things are changing. His salvation is coming. He's flexing his arm, Isaiah 52. The whole world will see his salvation. Good news. You and I are called to publish peace, publish salvation, publish the good news. And one way to do that is by our our purses and our wallets. I'll end with this. Um, Martin Luther used to say this. There are three conversions necessary for one to enter into the kingdom. The first is the conversion of the heart. (laughs) <laughs> the second is the conversion of the mind the third is the conversion of the wallet my prayer is that by God's grace we would get to that third one um, and we just find our life, our joy, our satisfaction in being kingdom people and living life in the kingdom the way that the kingdom works that's where abundance will be that's where life and meaning will be let me pray for us Father thank you for this day thank you for all that you have done for us that you provided for us I pray today that you would open up our eyes to see your generosity, to see your wealth in the way that you provided for us. And I pray that, as always, we would continue to be shaped by your spirit into the people that you called us to be. Send us out into the world to be your light, to be your salt. And to do that, Father, we need you. So we pray your kingdom come. Give us our bread. Forgive us. Let us forgive others and help us. We love you. We need you, Father. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. We'll not participate in communion here at First Colony, we do this every week. The table is open to all who would come um, in an act of worship and recognition of the sacrifice that was given for us, the free gift given out of the generosity of God's grace. So we'd come to remember the risen one, the crucified one, the one who gave his life for our life.